Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, if you'll be finding that in your Bible today. The book of Romans, the 12th chapter. Last Sunday evening, it was a great service last Sunday evening. If you weren't able to be with us, several of our uh, preachers uh, preached and um, talked a little bit about our theme. We normally have a theme, an annual theme that we emphasize throughout the year. And um, so you can see the banners displayed that really reflect our theme. And that doesn't mean we preach on it every week or even mention it every week. But I have found over recent years that if the Lord leads us in the selection of a theme, and I believe he has, that we'll find that it becomes very practical and very helpful throughout the year. And so um, our theme for this year is taken from Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're just going to read one verse to begin with, but I'd invite you to stand, if you're able to stand, for the reading of the scriptures, and we're going to look at Romans 12 in its entirety in just a moment, but I want us to look at just the last verse before we pray. The Word of God says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we don't always look at the Bible as being uh, practical, but we should. And the Bible is a very practical book. The principles of the Bible are very practical. That means they work in our life. And this is a bit of godly wisdom about evil. We're, to, we, we're not to fight evil with the evil. We're to overcome evil with good. And you probably live in a world where you never see any examples of evil, but tongue in cheek, we all deal with evil, right? And uh, so we're going to look at this passage tonight and, or today and trust the Lord will really kind of help us understand how helpful and meaningful and practical this principle is. And let's pray again as we get into the scripture. Father, thank you for your word, your powerful word. Thank you for preserving it for us that we could have in our possession your message to us. And that, Lord, we can not only have the Bible, but we can read the Bible. And we can also understand the Bible. And we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, those of us who are saved, who will, you promised, Lord Jesus, would teach us the Bible. And you want us to walk in your word. And so today we pray that you would help, help during this time of teaching and preaching. That we would have open minds and open hearts. And that your word would encourage us and challenge us about your will. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This chapter, Romans chapter 12, is to me... Uh, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And I want to just kind of go through it quickly to bring us to the message today. But if I, were go if I was going to title uh, the chapter, the Romans chapter 12, and give it a title, it would be something like this, Living Life as a Christian. And there's so much good advice here. And I'm going, to, I'm going to really work at not commenting too much on it, but I think it's important to kind of get an understanding of the context. In the first two verses, it talks about 
the importance of our dedication to God. Very familiar words. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. These readers were very familiar with sacrifices, both in the world of idolatry and in the Hebrew culture. They offered sacrifices. But he said, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be like the world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the first thing we see here is God wants complete dedication of our life to God. That's not what this message is about, but I emphasize it because if you don't do that, you're, you're going to find the Christian life's not really going to work for you like God intended for it to. Complete dedication of your life to God. The second part really has, begins in verse 3, and that has to do with serving God and serving others, particularly in the church. I want to read this quickly. Verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and are... All members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, God has gifted every member of the church with unique giftedness that we might minister to one another and serve one another. So two real basic principles. We ought to give God our complete life. Second of all, we ought to use the gifts he gives us to minister to one another. Then he transitions in verse um, 9 and following to how we live out our faith in practical ways. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation means insincerity. Don't love hypocritically, love sincerely. Look in verse 9. Abhor that which is evil. Not just recognize evil, hate evil. Learn to hate evil and cleave to that which is good. I hope you can see today, just as we kind of introduce the message, all, how practical this is. We're not to tolerate evil or embrace evil. We're to, we're to abhor evil. And we're to cleave to that which is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Always put other people first. You know, if you only had one chapter of the Bible to try to live by, just living by this one chapter would keep us busy. Verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not casual, not slothful, not lazy, but with fervency and zeal, serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, maintain a positive, hopeful attitude, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, be instant to pray about everything. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, be generous. Given to hospitality, have a home where you welcome others as guests. 
Verse 14, bless them which persecute you. Beginning in verse 14, there's a slight transition again. It's very practical, but 14 to 21 is sort of under the same similar heading. Look what verse 14 says. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. If people mistreat you, never mistreat them. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's a very interesting thing. We're to be emotionally engaged with one another. We're to rejoice every time someone else has a victory. And we're to weep every time somebody else has a burden. That's, that's, that in itself is worth a lot of consideration. Verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. In other words, don't, don't be a respecter of persons. Don't say, well, I really like this person, but I don't really care for that person. Let me tell you, the person you don't really care for, God likes just as much as he likes you. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be humble. Be not wise in your own conceits, verse 16. Avoid prideful conceit. 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Never retaliate. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Be committed to a life of complete honesty and transparency. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. All men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Never try to pay back, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I'll take care of that. So this, do this, verse 20, if thine enemy hungers, feed him. If you have an enemy that's starving, take him some food. If he thirsts, give him drink. And as a part of me, I'd like to say, you know, if he's thirst, don't give him a drink. But he says, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And then the final verse, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we're going to just really talk about the final verse. But let me just say this about all that chapter. This, this really represents characteristics or marks of what true Christianity looks like. You know, we might look at a person who lives like this... We might look at that, we might look at this, let's say it this way, we might look at that as a goal and say that's not possible. Or we might look at a person who tries to live like this and say, well, they're just, they're just exceptional Christians. No, this is normal Christianity right here. This is normal Christianity. Love people that hate you. This is not a, this is not a special set of rules for the, you know, the elitist of Christians. No, these are the guidelines for all Christians. This is the way we're supposed to live. Very practical, our faith working out practically in our everyday lives. Someone treats you in a bad way, you're to treat them in a good way. That's what the Bible's teaching us. You know, one of the real, I think, marks of a true Christian is how we respond to adversity. How we respond to trials and disappointments and persecution. Do we retaliate? Do we just say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person? You know, you, can, you and I could think that way, but that's not biblical. 
We, we ought to be, as Christians, we follow the Bible. We don't follow our emotions. We don't follow our feelings. We don't follow what somebody else said. We follow the Bible. That's what Christians do. So this last verse would stand alone. It's really this last verse is echoed throughout many places in the Bible. Today we'll mention a few of them. But it sort of summarizes the whole concept there of Romans chapter 12. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think one of the things we ought to begin with in this subject is to, to ask the question, try to define, well, what is evil? If we're not to be overcome of evil, but we're to overcome evil with good, what is evil? And, and frankly, evil is everywhere. I mentioned last Sunday night in just introducing this theme that First uh, John, John the Beloved, says this, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And that's true. It's not just one political party, it's the whole world. It's not just one country, it's the whole world. It's not just one community. The whole world lies in wickedness. It was that, this, it was that way in the Bible times. It was that way in the New Testament, and it's that way today. So what is evil? Evil Evil would represent things that are bad, things that are wicked, things that are sinful, things that are hateful. These are all things that are evil. Your thoughts can be evil. You may be thinking evil thoughts right now. Your thoughts can be evil. And we all have to deal with evil. Just in this passage in Romans 12, I'm not going to go rephrase re, re, uh, all of this, but... Verse 9, it tells us that love ought to be with this, without dissimulation. Hypocrisy is evil. The chief enemies of Jesus were hypocrites, religious people. Religious people who were rejectors of the truth. So hypocrisy is evil. Verse 17, it says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Dishonesty is evil. I'm just saying evil is everywhere. Verse 16, it said, be of the same mind one toward another. Partiality is evil. All these things represent evil. So evil exists in our world. Evil exists in our mind. Evil exists in our past. Evil exists in what others say about us. And you know what? Evil, whether we realize it or not, evil wants to conquer us. That's why it says in verse 21, be not overcome of evil. Evil wants to overcome us. Dishonesty and hypocrisy want to overcome us. Pride wants to overcome us. Lust wants to dominate us. Procrastination, it said be zealous. Laziness and procrastination want to overtake us. Satan wants to destroy us. Sin wants to capture us. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, For whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. You know there are people sitting in church, they're in bondage to dishonesty, they're in bondage to hypocrisy, they're in bondage to lust, they're in bondage to bitterness, and sitting in the church house listening to sermons, and sin wants to dominate us. That's why it says, Be not overcome of evil. We all have to deal with evil. But evil doesn't have to overcome us. God wants us to overcome evil. Aren't you glad about that today? Jesus didn't just die for us to save us from the penalty of our sin. He did die. 
to save us from the penalty of our sin. That means that he paid the price for our sin. He died for our sin, that we could be forgiven of our sin. But he didn't just die to save us from the penalty of our sin. He died to save us from the power of our sin. That we don't have to live in bondage to sin. He wants to see us overcome evil. What does the verse say? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, that's a, that's a worthy cause, really, in life. It's a biblical cause. Evil's everywhere. Don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And in the text, he warns us about the danger of trying to overcome evil with evil. In other words, somebody mistreated me, so I'm going to mistreat them back. Somebody mistreated me, I'm going to mistreat them more. Surely you've been in conversations with someone, probably your children, who were misbehaving and fussing with one another, and, and you try to find out why they did they, what they did, and they said, well, because they did that to me. Right? That's why I did it, because they did that to me. By the way, that, that tendency doesn't go away when you outgrow adolescence. We're not to overcome evil with evil. Look in verse 17. Recompense to no man, to no man evil for evil. Don't pay back evil with evil. There's another verse that I want to read to you without turning to it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I know that nobody in this room would ever, ever have in any measure or degree road rage. So I'm, I feel safe in saying this. If someone cuts you off or stops in front of you or whatever, you never, ever have this moment when you think... I'm going to get back at them. You know why we do those kind of things? Why? It's human nature. If someone mistreats you, you mistreat them. If someone hurts you, you're going to hurt them back. One of the basic things that we try to teach uh, people who are considering marriage is this. It's never right to do anything that would ever intentionally do anything that would hurt the other person. It's never right to do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever done that or had that done to you. But the, but the point is, we're not to overcome evil with evil. And I believe, I'm persuaded, that the greatest evil that you and I have to deal with on a regular basis is the evil that's within us. It's not the evil in our husband or wife. It's not the evil in our kids. It's not the evil in our parents. It's our own evil. And that's, I think that's important to understand. But it's, but it's also important to understand this. The greatest Influence that I can have over evil in my world is not the evil in Washington or the evil in my neighbor. The greatest influence I can have over evil in my world is the evil that's in me. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, 
The thing that I want to conclude with emphasizing, please understand, I'm not saying I'm concluding. The thing I want to conclude with emphasizing is this. Overcoming evil requires action. This overcome evil with good. Now that's, that's an interesting phrase, but it's not done by just being passive about evil. We overcome evil with good by actions that we take. And the first thing we have to do is identify the evil. So try to remember that. We have to identify the evil. Selfishness is evil. Pride is evil. Hypocrisy is evil. Unforgiveness is evil. Bitterness is evil. Laziness is evil. Procrastination, putting things off intentionally that we should do, is evil. Respecter of persons is evil. Greed is evil. We have to, we have to identify the evil. And that's a big step for some people. Anybody knows that if you're trying to conquer some kind of addiction, the first thing you have to do is recognize you have a problem. Dishonesty is evil. It's not a bad, just a bad character quality. It is evil. That's why I emphasize in verse 9, the verse we read earlier, abhor that which is evil in you and in me. We abhor the evil that's with us. What does the word abhor mean? It means to dislike it. It means to detest it. We have to take our sin seriously. I mean, if, if I were to talk about the evils of our society, the evils of, of our culture, the evil of, our, of, of people in political office, I mean, all of us would agree there's evil everywhere. But, but a lot of times people just get frustrated because they can't fix the evil in other people without realizing, you know, there's probably some evil in me too. So we have to identify it. Call it what it is. We have to take it seriously. If we're going to overcome evil with good, we have to know what the evil is. If I have bitterness against someone, that's evil. I can overcome it, but I can't overcome it without recognizing what it is. So we have to identify the evil, and then we have to find the tools and utilize the tools that God gives us. Overcome evil with good. God has a way to overcome the evil. And what are those tools? And there's, there's, it's, the Bible is full of them, but let's, we're going to come back to Romans 12. But I want you to go to the Gospels for just a moment to Matthew chapter 5, a part of what we sometimes call the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and I just want to look at a couple of verses that illustrate this. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, you have heard, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now, he knew what they had been hearing. He knew that these things were being said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. 
So Jesus here is identifying some evils. He identifies hate as an evil. And he says, love your enemies. He identifies cursing, and that's not using profanity. That's just speaking evil of you. That's an evil, but he says, here's the tool, bless them. Someone says something negative about you, don't just sit and think about it. Say something good about them. Do good to them that hate you. If you knew someone that hated you, and think about this just for a moment. If you knew someone that really, really, really disliked you, that's evil, right? I mean, I know all of you pretty much. I know you're all great people. For me to dislike you would be evil. That's evil. Well, so what do you, so you got to recognize the evil. Yes, it is evil. It is evil how I was treated. It is evil what they did to me. It is evil what they said to me. We have to recognize the evil. But then he says, here's what you do. Here's the tool to, get, to fix this. Do good to them that hate you. Do something nice for them. Let's just imagine today that I hate you. All right, let's just imagine that. Here's what you can do. You know, send me lots of chocolate chip cookies. And I'll be bigger and you'll be better. (laughs) Recognize the evil. You have to identify the evil and then find out what, what is my response to that evil. In verse 44, pray for them which despitefully use you. There's someone who's treating me spitefully. I know they have. They're mistreating me. What? Okay, that's evil. It's not right. It's evil. They're not supposed to do that. But what do you do in response? Just think about it, stew about it, talk about it? No, he tells you exactly what to do. Pray for them. Which despi- Start praying for them. And look what it says in verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, you're going, to be like the, you're going to be like God when you start acting that way. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. If I was God, I would not let the sun come up on my enemies. I would be like it was in Egypt when the, they had lied in the, Egyptians, in the Hebrews' houses in darkness. But God's not like that. He lets the sun He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I didn't intend to read all these verses. If you look at verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? If you just love your family and those who treat you good, what's the big deal? Do not even the publicans the same? I mean, anybody can do that. Anybody can love people who always treat them right. And if you salute your brethren only, salute means to greet them. If you, just, if you only greet your brethren, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? He says, be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know what he says? If you're going to be like God, we need to start treating people like they don't deserve to be treated. We have to, we have to recognize the evil. And then we have to overcome. We overcome hate with love. We overcome the hurts of others by praying for them. We overcome criticism by a life of honesty and and, uh, speaking well of people. We overcome greed with generosity. 
You know what God wants to do? He wants to use difficulties and temptations to help us have occasion to build character in our life and to become more Christ-like. Instead of problems making life more difficult, maybe problems could make us more Christ-like in the way we respond to them. How do you overcome negative thoughts with positive thoughts? You ever have a problem with negative thoughts? I do. I'm positive I do. (laughs) Thinking negatively, you know, dwelling on the negative. How do you overcome? That's that's evil. That's not good. God wants us to think positive. How do we do that? By thinking positive thoughts. One writer said, Be considerate of the feelings of others instead of waiting for them to be considerate of your feelings. Well, as soon as they'll treat me better, I'll treat them better. That's not God's way. That's not God's way. The bottom line is we're to be overcomers. You can't overcome evil with evil, and we can't overcome evil with a passive approach to it. Yeah, I know that that I'm... I have, I have this propensity to be deceitful or dishonest. I know I exaggerate. I know I say things that aren't true, and I know it's not a good thing, and that's the end of it. No, if you're going to overcome that, you have to be on the offense. You have to be active toward that and say, I'm going to be committed to a life of honesty. And I remind you, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. I mean, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's all turn there to 1 Peter chapter 2 and we'll wrap this up. This is the life of Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived. 1 Peter chapter 2, which has a great deal in it about trials and response to trials. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse... 19, it says, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongly. This is a good thing. This is a positive thing. If you go through grievous things and, and um, you're suffering wrongfully. But look what verse 20 says. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, if you're doing things that are wrong and you're buffeting or suffering or paying for it because you're wrong and you take it patiently, what glory is it? In other words, if you did something wrong and you were suffering because of it and you take it patiently, well, you, you know what? You deserve to be reprimanded. But, but look in verse 20. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, This is acceptable with God. This is even better. When you're doing the right thing and you're suffering for it and you take it patiently, it's acceptable. Verse 21 gets to the the main hope we have here, source of instruction. Verse 21, for even hereunto were you called. As a Christian, this is what you were called to. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, he never sinned, neither was guile or deception, deceit 
dishonesty found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, to God, that judgeth, un, judgeth righteously. In other words, this is how the, Jesus lived. This is the way he lived. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed hanging on a cross, having been beaten, tortured, Hanging on a cross, he looks upon those people who hung him there and said, Father, forgive them. He, by the way, he didn't just do that to be smart or cute. He did it because he wanted God to bless them. God, Father, forgive them. He forgave those who, he forgave me. I, I, I lived a life of wronging him, committing wrong against him, disobeying his commandments rebelling against him, living in arrogant pride and selfishness that was against God, against his word. I lived that way. And you know what he did for me? He died for me. He died for me. That's the life he wants us to live. He, didn't, didn't we just read this here in Peter? He said, verse 21, he suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know, when you forgive people that wrong you and you do it in the right spirit, you're, you're following in Jesus' steps. By the way, for those who are here and may not be saved, look in verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. He took your sins upon his own body. He took my sins upon his own body on the tree. Every bit of bitterness I've ever had or unforgiveness or pride or selfishness, Jesus died for all of that. But he didn't die for all that that we could continue to live in it. It says in verse 24... That we should live under righteousness. All of us deal with evil. It's a part of our world. But it's not just a part of our world, it's a part of us. But we don't have to be overcome of evil. We can overcome evil with good. God wants us to be overcomers that's, that's a theme throughout the New Testament. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I, I just want to challenge all of us this morning, and we will be considering this throughout this year from time to time. Let's not be overcome of evil, whatever evil it is. But let's overcome evil with good. Not that we can say, look what I did. But so we can say, look what God did. Look what God did for me. Look what God did for our family. What God, look what God did for this relationship. And if you're here today and you're not saved, live, trying to live this way won't make you a Christian. This is how we ought to live once we're saved. But if you're trying to live this way in order to be a Christian, you're putting the cart before the horse.
The good news is Christ died for your sins that through faith in Him you can be saved, you can be forgiven. Today He wants to save you. He doesn't want you to live in sin. He doesn't want me to live in sin. He came to save us from our sins. You hear me say this periodically and it needs to be repeated. This notion that Jesus died so all my sins could be forgiven so that I shouldn't be concerned about my sins is evil. It's not biblical. He did die for our sins that we could be forgiven of our sins, but he died for our sins that we could also see him conquer the sins in our own life. Amen. So maybe today you could think of some evil some evil you're dealing with, some evil you're faced with, some evil in you, and, and, and be willing to say, I can identify this, this is evil. Maybe it's deception, maybe it's hypocrisy, maybe it's unforgiveness, whatever it is. You say, I, I've, I've pinpointed it, I've identified it. Then we need to say, God, help me to take the tools you've given me and overcome evil with good. Wouldn't it be better to be full of forgiveness than be full of bitterness? Absolutely. Wouldn't it be better to be full of generosity than to be full of greed and selfishness? Absolutely. Wouldn't it be good to be governed by positive attitudes and thoughts rather than negative attitudes and thoughts? We all know it's true. Overcome evil with good. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. Could you today, in your own life as a young person, as an adult, could you today say this, I know this is an evil that I and confronted with and identify it but instead of saying I'm going to live with it or just saying I'm going to I'm going to retaliate I'll show them why don't you say Lord help me to see you overcome evil with good our fathers we pray today we thank you for your word and we do see evil every day of our life. We see it in our society. We see it in our culture, but we see it in us. God, we want to see you overcome evil with good. We thank you for this principle, this promise, this hope we find in our text today, Lord. God, help us. I pray you'd help everyone here today to be able to see and identify the evil that can be overcome. And by faith, trust you. Help us to pray for those that you said to pray for that despitefully use us and persecute us. God, help us to bless those who curse us. We pray for that. God, we want to be more like Jesus.